Howdy, y'all. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast where I sit down with Bart Cannon. We hear about how he came upon the nickname of the Sideman, his lifelong love of music, how that led him to his first date with his wife, how he traipsed across the southern United States uh, during his banking career, and also an interesting story about his cousin, who was a Heisman Trophy Award winner and a All-Pro football player. Give a listen, and please rate, like, pass on the episode. I really appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, I'm kind of a plug-and-play guy myself. Because right. back in the 60s when I started playing guitar, there wasn't all this gear. Mm-hmm. We had a few pedals. Right. Like I had a, 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 a wah-wah pedal mm-hmm. and a distortion box, and that's it. Right. There wasn't really much else you could have. Yeah. I had a Fender Twin Reverb amplifier, and it had it had a tremola and reverb on it. Tremola and reverb. And so with those two uh, features and then my, those two uh, stomp boxes that uh-huh. I had, that's really all I needed. That's yeah. really all that was available yeah. back then. And since yeah. then, I, I bought a, when I was playing in church, I bought a flanger. Okay. And I thought I was really much. What, what does that thing. do? What does a flanger do? It, uh, it's kind of hard to describe. It, it, it makes it sound almost like an organ. Okay. Okay. It, it so, really is amazing the stuff they can do with music these days. And, you know, with, I guess it went from, I guess, a single track. I mean, to a track at all, that's that's amazing to have and to be able to record anything. I was listening to David Lee Roth talk about when they went from four track to like eight track, yeah. and then he said it basically just doubled the number of tracks that Eddie Van Halen could record on. And so he said he would do one thing, you know, all up here, and then he would ah, let's do another one, and he would do something down here. And so that's why when they cut and spliced and Put it all together he would take this that's why he's always back and forth up and down the fretboard is it's like he finally figured out what he wanted and it was all over the place it's just amazing what they were able to do given the technology right. folks back then were just so creative it's right. just even uh, in retrospect I, I knew it then but i didn't know it quite like i know it now because mm-hmm. it's just when you think back you know what technology has done today, and then you go back and think, well, what, what they had available then, what they were able to do with it, it's just yeah. mind-boggling. It is. <laughs> do you have any relatives in this area? Because I've never known anybody named the last name Cannon, but now I know two people. Uh, my daughter lives here. Okay. She's so, the only relative I know of okay, cause there's in the area. Cannon Creek Winery in between Maybank and Canton is owned by Steve and Kelly Cannon. Uh, I didn't know about that. I yeah. have to check that out. So it's it's fun place, and uh, they're really fun to talk to. Yeah, the Cannons, from where I come from, are somewhat infamous. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, well, that's a good place to start. So where did you come from, and, and how is the that part of the Cannon family tree infamous? Well, I'm from uh, central Mississippi. I grew up in the Jackson, Mississippi area in a little town called Pearl, Mississippi. Pearl, Mississippi. And it wasn't even a town when I was growing up there. They incorporated some years later to prevent Jackson from coming across the Pearl River and taking 
Rankin County. Okay. And so uh, they, they, that's that sort of uh, personifies the, the the spirit of the people there. They're very independent. Mm -hmm. And my mother and daddy met at the Mississippi State Hospital in Whitfield, which is not far from Pearl. And uh, they met and married. They were both working there. That's the mental institution for the state of Mississippi. And the, the movie, A Time to Kill, yes. was, part of it was filmed there. In fact, I played on the, the steps, front steps of the administration building where my mother worked. She was secretary to the executive director. We lived, I was born out there, and some people say that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we lived in the dormitory out there until I was seven years old, or six and a half. My brother came along, and when you get two kids, you can have one, but you can't have two. Okay. So they had to move out. But my dad uh, comes from Neshoba County, Mississippi, which is, uh, the, I think the county seat is Philadelphia, which is also infamous as, in its own right because that's where three civil rights workers were killed in the 60s. And uh, There's a he, lot going on in Mississippi that's in right. those days, weren't there? Well, my cousin, one of my cousins, uh, Billy Cannon, played football at LSU and won the Heisman Trophy there. Really? Yeah. Wow. They say he wound up at LSU because he was going to go to Alabama and play for Coach Bryant, but the judge <laughs> in Baton Rouge... <laughs> Before the, he appeared before the judge, and the judge gave him two choices: oh. you can either go to jail or play football at LSU. Oh, really? Yeah. I was gonna say usually that's go to jail or the military, but I guess if you're a Heisman Trophy winner, you play at LSU. Yeah, well, he was he was he was the prototype for today's running backs because really? he was over 200 pounds and he could run a sub 10 second 100 yard dash. Man, oh man! So he could either run over you or <laughs> outrun you. <laughs> Either one will do. Great athlete. And then he wound up playing in the pros. And, uh, of course, won the Heisman Trophy. LSU won a national championship while he was there. So it worked out for the judge. Yeah, well, it worked out <laughs> for everybody except Coach Bryant. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It didn't work out for Alabama. So, anyway, but I wound up going to Alabama myself. Did you? But I didn't contribute on the football field. Okay. I just paid tuition oh. and got my degree. And then I have another cousin who uh, – played football. He was from the Mississippi Gulf Coast and wound up playing football for Ole Miss and was an All-American defensive back. His mm -hmm. name was Glenn Cannon. Glenn Cannon, okay. And uh, he wound up uh, going back to Ole Miss Law School and becoming wound up as a district attorney on the Gulf Coast where he was from. But he got in a little trouble. And so uh, when I took a job at a bank down in South Texas, I was at a rotary meeting and people were asking me about my background. I said, yeah, I've got two cousins who were both All-American football players and both convicted felons. <laughs> <laughs> and my boss was sitting across the table from me, and he was almost choked on his Are chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't tell you this, that Billy Cannon uh, did get convicted of, uh, of counterfeit, count, counterfeiting. Really? What was he counterfeiting? Like, like money? He was, oh, or? yeah, he was, uh, uh, he later on went to, while he was, when he was all, in his off-seasons from, uh, professional football, he'd go to dental school. So he became a, a, an orthodontist and had a thriving practice in Baton Rouge. But his in the off his, season only, his little habit of uh, taking the horses down to the racetrack in New Orleans uh, just it, it just uh, I mean, who could live on 300,000 a year right, after yeah. all? <laughs> so it took a little money, and so he had to make a little money with the printing press. When was he? 
in the NFL. Well, he was in the AFL, AFL first. Okay. Uh, he played for the Houston Oilers yep. and then the Oakland Raiders. Okay. I think he might have wound up somewhere else this last year, too. But he was a running back, and then he, he beefed up some or fattened up. Right, yeah. And wound up as a tight end. So this was in the 70s? In the 60s. 60s, okay. Because I think he graduated from LSU about 60, 59 or 60. Oh, okay. So he was all now, back then, you had to work in the off-season just to make ends meet. Yeah. yeah, if you weren't went a... to dental school. Gotcha. And so, in fact, there was a dentist I knew at one of my stops who uh, worked out with him in the summertime, and they went to dental school together. What college did you go University to? of Alabama. University of Alabama. And what did what was your interest? Or do you have, like, this is what I'm going to do? Or were you just going to kind of figure out what you wanted to do? No. Uh, when I was growing up, well... I was in a blue-collar family. My mother went to nine months of, uh, at Drawn's Business College and got her secretarial certificate. And my dad went to a year of junior college, played basketball. He was a real good athlete. I didn't get that part of the <laughs> gene pool. But, uh, but he only went a year and then dropped out and got married. And uh, lo and behold, he had a son. Right. That was me. My brother likes to pick at me about what year that was, because uh, they had been married over a year when I was born, but he, he says they were, it was less than a year. Okay. He likes, you'd have to know him to right. know how that kind of thing finds a lot of humor with him. Sure. It makes for a good story. Yeah. And at this point, it doesn't really matter. No, it really doesn't matter now, does it? I came up, all my life, I, it was drilled into me that you're going to go to college, going to go to college. Nobody said what for, but... Mm-hmm. But my dad always told me, he said, go four years of college and major in business. And when we had, uh, I went to the guidance counselor in high school, he was absolutely no help along those lines. All he did was help me apply to enter college. He didn't, he didn't have any, any resources to offer as far as how to decide what to study or what career path to take or anything like that. So I did exactly what my dad said to do. I went to college, I got a junior college associate degree, then I went to University of Alabama, got a bachelor's in business, and embarked on the banking, a banking career. Was that kind of the, the career path for most people at the time that had a business degree? No, uh, most of the folks, really a lot of the folks I graduated with, my, my degree is in marketing, actually marketing administration and a lot of the folks went to work in in sales jobs and I never considered myself having the ability to sell anything (laughs) (laughs) so I thought that would probably not work for me yeah and so uh, it was really funny I decided about the banking business one summer I worked with my dad he worked for an for a, a linen company in Jackson Mississippi so I worked there in the summer, and I remember one day, one hot summer day on a Friday afternoon, I was standing in line, getting ready to cash my check at the teller window, and I was in the bank. I looked around, I noticed it was air conditioned, first of all. That <laughs> <laughs> well, feels nice in here. And everybody, everybody was dressed nicely. I, I didn't have hardly any dress clothes at that point. So, because we weren't uh, really rolling in the dough, as it were, and so, uh, I didn't, I didn't have dress-up clothes, or not very many, and so I, I thought, hey, you know, it'd, it'd be nice to work in a bank. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what they did. Yeah. I didn't care. I just You can dress up. 
look nice and be an air cool in there. Yeah. And so that's what I did. When I graduated from Alabama, I had some basic training to, in AIT to do in the military. I was in the National Guard. So when that was over, I applied for some of the banks in the area, and only one responded, and I didn't need but one job. That's all you so need. I took it, and that's how I got in. So what'd your dad think? Were they obviously they wanted to get you an education, and so is you think that's what they had in mind, or did they have anything in mind? They just wanted you to be. They wanted me to Not have a better happy. life than they did. And Daddy always, the limitations of not having more education kept reminding him that he didn't want that type of situation for his children. So I knew I wouldn't be, a, I wouldn't be good in the trades. And so I figured I'd be a, you know, a pencil pusher or something <laughs> where I could use my brain a little more than my brawn. So you got hired at the one uh, one bank that ans- answered your uh, job application. Did you immediately go back to school? Because or you sounded like you got multiple degrees. No, well, I started to go back. Uh, I did some. See, th- this is something that I guess would be a regret. But uh, as it turns out, I have an aptitude for writing. But what I, kind of writing? Well, just writing in okay. general. But I can string words together. Okay. One of one of my strong suits was writing reports and business letters and stuff like that. And in later life, I started writing articles for newsletters, and really? I was writing columns for newspapers, and I've written a couple of books. That's really cool and stuff. So, and, and I just really love doing that. Mm-hmm. But I just I didn't recognize it as something you could do something with right. at that time. I wish I had. I wish somebody had told me that. Yeah. But I didn't, it didn't ring. I couldn't connect those mm-hmm. dots, so I couldn't see a future doing that. I didn't even think about it. I did want to go on. I didn't even know there was such a thing as graduate school mm-hmm. when I went to college. I didn't find out about that till I was at the University of Alabama. I thought, oh, I might like to do that. Yeah. So after I'd been working for the bank a year or two, I contacted one of my teachers. I, I think I had a or professors. I had a, a course in uh, written correspondence or business correspondence mm-hmm. or report writing. I had both of those and it was the report writing professor that I contacted and she had made arrangements for me to have a graduate assistantship over there at the University of Alabama. By then I was married and so we had to figure out some way to support ourselves yeah. and so my wife was supposed to get a job teaching at uh, a private academy in Tuscaloosa. I just, I tend to overthink things and I never could, I, I would get on a diving board but I wouldn't jump off because I'm still trying to figure out how deep the water is. <laughs> and so I just, I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't pull the trigger on it. And so I just backed away from it. And so later on, I went to law school. I was working as a, in, in the trust department at the bank. We were starting a new trust department. I, they dubbed me the trust officer. So I was working with a consultant and he wanted me to go to law school because I think he had visions of me eventually joining his firm. Okay. <laughs> Once I got some experience in the trust world and mm-hmm. I was certainly open to that. But uh, during finals, and I love studying the law too. During finals, uh, my my first daughter was born okay. the week of finals. And I don't know if you know much about law school, but the only grades you get is what you score on your final exam. Okay. And I had I was taking nine hours, and after that that week I was dead. Yeah. And so 
I had a decision to make. Do I want to continue with this, get my law degree and sacrifice the time that is irreplaceable with my child? And I decided you only get one chance with those kids. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna back up, get off this career thing and I'm just gonna be focused on being a dad. What do you think about that decision? Well, it worked out in the long run. Uh, I stayed in the banking business, and that child now is is a chief staff attorney at the oh, really? <laughs> appellate court over in Tyler. Wow. <laughs> she's the so one she, who lives in Athens. Okay. So she got the, the, she the first family law degree? She's got the law degree. <laughs> you just had to wait a little longer and came to the family. Yeah, it, it's, it came about, yeah. but uh, not uh, not through me. But I did get two master's degrees. I, uh, I think I was 50 years old when I enrolled at Dallas Baptist University and got my master's there. Okay. What's that in? It's in uh, leadership studies. And what's funny is the fall semester after I graduated in May, they asked me to teach a class out there as an adjunct professor. So from that point on, which I think that was fall 2003 until a couple of years ago, right after I moved to Athens, mm -hmm. then uh, I retired and I've been with them 17 years teaching as an adjunct. But I taught, that, taught in an undergraduate uh, class for two years and then they asked me to take on a graduate level leadership course. So I taught that for 15 years. In that course, and, and uh, I think this is really funny. The professor had a little chart, and on that chart, he called it a personal ethical model. He said, I want uh, all the students had to fill out this personal ethical model. The first quadrant of that was uh, absolutes. What are your absolutes? And I don't remember any of the rest of them, but I do remember the absolutes. And then you had to have like principles and preferences and other things mm -hmm. that you would use to guide you to make decisions. Right. And so by then I was, I was uh, that was in my religious fanatic stage. And so I didn't have anything but absolutes and every one of them were verses of scripture. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, just a whole bunch of thou shalt or thou mm -hmm. shalt not. And right. I didn't have anything else. He said, you can't have that many absolutes. <laughs> I said, well, I, don't, I don't have anything else. Right. Just if, if I got a decision to make, I find a scripture and then that's what I do. Anyway, I've sort of mellowed out a little bit over yeah. the years. Did you uh, grow up going to church quite a bit? Is that a big part of your life? I did, yeah. Yeah, my, my uh, grandfather was a very spiritual man. And he, he lived in the Montgomery, Alabama area. I would spend the summers with them. We'd go to church all the time mm -hmm. over there. And we would we would go to church a lot at my parents' house as well. We were pretty involved in the church, youth groups and singing in the choir and all of that. Where did you think you got your love of music from? Did that come through the, well, the church? Well, I blame my bit? grandmother for that. There must be something in a gene pool I don't know what we can't we can't figure it out. But my grandmother got me started listening to music. She gave me a transistor radio. Really, that's a big deal back then. Uh, well, I, mean, I was, was eleven or twelve years old, okay. and I cherished that oh, thing. So I would go to bed 
uh, with my little earplugs mm-hmm. and they're listening to well in Mississippi I'd listen to K-A-A-Y out of Little Rock it was an FM station that played pop music mm-hmm. for the 60s back in those days yeah I'd just fall asleep <laughs> listening to run that your stuff. batteries out uh, yeah <laughs> and then then we had a bunk bed that had uh, a wooden ladder with uh, the top of it had looked like uh, teeth and then a, a cross piece. Right. And I would take that cross piece off and pretend that was my guitar. Really? Yeah, I'd just be strumming on it and singing along, listening to the radio. I can remember, you know, that's one thing, my, my mom was my biggest musical influence. And um, I was thinking about her on the way up here. I was thinking about music. I almost went home and got my guitar. Or I wanted to tell her, hey, bring your guitar. We'll, you know, we'll play something or maybe I'll sing something. And, but I forgot about it. But you know, you could hear her. You could always find her in the store if you you know you got lost or something because she'd be singing or humming, you know, to whatever what happened to be playing on the radio, over the speaker, or you know, just out loud. Um, but she always, I always had a stereo or a record player or some kind of radio and. If I was in trouble, if I just, or whatever, I mean, it was just always in my room. RCA back in the day, you know, you'd get the album of the month kind of deal. You could, you know, subscribe and then you'd get this. Oh, yeah. I can remember four album set of uh, what's now called classic R&B, you know, coming out and just yeah, when I wearing got it older, out. I got on that uh, Columbia house. Yes, that's what, right. Yeah, and I was getting all that stuff too. Yeah. By then it was eight tracks. Right. I mean, I had an eight track player in my my truck in high school and everything. Well, back in as far as the eight tracks, I remember having some by Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. And I had the Eagles' greatest hits because I remember uh, already gone on the between the second and the third deal. It was midway through already gone is where the track would change. And would go and when I hear it today, <laughs> I still remember that right Seems where that break is. <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to stop. There. Yeah, yeah, and pick it up. Music has come along. It just, it just speaks to me. I don't know why it always yeah. did. Yeah. Me too. You can tell me a bunch of stuff, but sometimes the words of a song can sure. just it just makes something click inside. Right. I, you don't need to really explain it, and right. you, you know you understand it, but you don't know why. Right. I, there's no telling how many times a day that I'll think of something, see something, read something, and it reminds me of a lyric, you know, or just... That's why I call myself the, the human jukebox, because every time somebody says something, well, that reminds me of a song. Oh, okay. <laughs> we do, yeah, we do that too. I mean, we where around here do you like to... Do you go see people play, or do you... Not too much, okay. not too much. Uh, <laughs> I swore off going to concerts uh, in the early 70s. Uh, we went over to Tuscaloosa for homecoming mm-hmm. after I'd graduated. We were spending a weekend with uh, the guy I graduated with. He's deceased now, Robert Palmer was his name, not the musician. Not the, okay. But Robert Palmer from Northport, Alabama. And uh, we we were going to go to we went to the ball game and then we were going to an Almond Brothers concert at the really? Coliseum. Yeah, so we went over there and of course with two women tagging along, we were late and all, <laughs> all the tickets were general admission. Oh, okay. 
So we we uh, we had to, the only place we could find to sit was up behind the band mm -hmm. and in the nosebleed section. So we got up there. They, they had only been playing. The lights went down. They'd only been playing for one or two songs, and all of a sudden it looked like it was Christmas in there. Oh, People all over oh, the place were lighting up joints. Up. I got you. <laughs> and all that, that uh, marijuana smoke started rising up there. That's where, where y'all were. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we were feeling woozy. Yeah. So we said, we got to get out of here. And I said, hey, if that's what going to a concert's all about, I'll never go to another one. Right. So I didn't go to another one. The next one I went to, which was uh, probably the most recent one, was uh, when Paul McCartney came over here to Jerry's World. Okay. I didn't like that very much either because that place is so big. It was, yeah, I, I've never been to one there. The yeah, only, that seemed like it would be really hard to get sound. Well, the sound was, was bad, and I thought, well, I, I know it's a big place, but they'll have that Jumbotron on. Nope. Really? I didn't have it on. Man. So uh, I, what I found out later was that Paul traveled around with these two little narrow panels that they had. They were long and skinny that they had set up one on each side of the stage. And so they would show one person at a time. You couldn't see the whole band together. Hmm. And with the naked eye, he looked like an ant. <laughs> right. From where we were sitting, he looked like an ant. Yeah. Thought, well, that's something that looks like a human being. Yeah, that's not what you want. And it could be Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't prove it. <laughs> Uh, so I won't go to another concert in a big place like that either. It's it's a lot more fun seeing somebody uh, up close, or re at least reasonably close. Yeah, now my son and I did go over to the Granada in Dallas mm -hmm. and see uh, Robin Ford when he was there a few okay. years ago. That was, that was okay. It was, that's so, not a real big venue. No. So you worked at the bank, and you did that for several years, and then how did you end up... Did you say in Dallas or in the North Texas area? I wound up in North Texas, but I took the long way around. Okay. Well, <laughs> tell us, take us that way. How did you get there? I had worked at the bank for the same, the first bank for seven years. Things were beginning to unravel a little bit there. They had a power struggle, and the guy who hired me got the boot. And so, long about that time, my sister-in-law, who lived in the Rio Grande Valley, contacted me, said that uh, her husband played golf with one of the bank presidents and they were looking for somebody with about the same number of years of experience that I had. And we, we had been down there and visited them several times, cheap vacation, we could stay there for yeah. free and go out to Padre right. Island. Yeah. Or Mexico, which I wouldn't dare go there now, yeah. but you could back then. And uh, anyway, we, we went down, we would go down there, so they wanted to fly us down there and interview for a job at the bank. Well, we wound up going down there, and the, the people that I knew at the bank wound up going to another bank and getting all set up. And after I'd been down there a year, I felt like I was in a, at the bottom of a, a bowl, like a lone Cheerio in a cereal bowl, really? you know, just looking up at the world. <laughs> Because you just about can't get there from anywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I just got homesick. And so uh, I got hired to come back to this other bank in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's, of course, that bank's been bought two or three times yeah. since then. So I worked there for a while and then worked around. And some years later, 
bring us that brings us up to the late 80s no the 90s and uh, got another call from down there the other there were two banks in town the other bank <laughs> where everybody went yeah it was okay. uh, no the other bank in the valley okay. where i had had left okay. they had two banks it was in raymondville texas in willisie county rio grande valley and uh, i had worked for first valley bank not no Raymondville Bank of Texas, which is part of Texas, the Texas Bank, okay. or was the Texas Bank system when I uh-huh. left? I don't know what it is. Now. No telling what it is. No telling. And so uh, it was First Valley Bank that was looking for somebody. And by then, got four kids. Their needs are expanding faster than my income. Sure. And so uh, they offered a real good package. I really didn't want to move again. I'd already been there before. They say you can never go back, <laughs> but we did. Yeah. So we went back down there and worked for about five and a half years. And uh, I'd only been there about a year, and they sold the bank <laughs> <laughs> to uh, Norwest out of Minneapolis. And I didn't know if those people were Vikings that were com- going to uh, come yeah. down with the <laughs> horns on the hat <laughs> it, with the big sword and yeah. cut everybody open or what. Because uh, I had never worked for a big bank, I'd always worked for small outfits, mm-hmm. and I d- didn't think I wanted to work for a big one. Well, that decision had already been made for me, and so uh, my dad had a heart attack during that time, and by then we had been back down there five years. So I've been to Raymondville twice. Right. The last time we moved there in '95, that by then, then now it was 2000. My dad had the heart attack. I flew back to Mississippi, saw him in the hospital. He had another heart attack when I was flying back. Got back to my office and I sat in there. After I got off the phone and found out daddy was back in surgery, having another stent put in there, I looked up at the ceiling and I said, God, if there's not some compelling reason for me to be here, Move me, and it wasn't well. Uh, wasn't too long after that that I had an opportunity to transfer. With by then it was Wells Fargo to transfer up to the Dallas Fort Worth area. I flew up here. This is really funny. Norwest believed in a lot of training, and they'd fly you all over the place for different courses mm-hmm. to take. So I was learning a lot. Yeah. And I wanted to take some course that was a one-day course in Dallas. Well, the, the bank had just bought Mercantile Bank out of Brownsville. And so the, their president was now our regional president for the bank. He was a real hard-nosed guy. And so my, my manager called me and said, Well, you know that, that seminar in Dallas you signed up for? I said, yeah. He said, Well, you're not going. <laughs> I said, why? <laughs> well, we're cutting back. I said, okay. Well, I was real good friends with the guy who was in charge of training. He was out of Minneapolis, so he called me and said, hey, uh, I, I don't see your name on the list for this, this seminar. Uh, I thought you were going. I said, well, I thought I was too, but blah, blah, blah. I told him the story. He said, you're going. All right. 
And so the, the regional the regional fellow got overruled? <laughs> he did. Oh. The next day or so, my, my manager called. He was laughing. He said, guess what? <laughs> You're going. I call that the, the seminar that got raised from the dead. Okay. But the reason that's significant is when I got there, I met a guy. I sat by this guy who worked in Fort Worth. And we got to be friends. I said, well, if you ever have any openings up here, let me know. He called. He said, guess what? We got an opening. So there's your serendipity. He said, it's in Cleveland. I said, I'll take it. Where is it? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't care where it was. Not here. (laughs) So I got that job. We moved to Cleveland, Texas Uh in Johnson County and lived there 15 years. And that's where I retired from the bank. When and where did... uh you and your wife meet? Well, that's really funny too. She is from Jackson, Mississippi, and went to a different high school. One of the guys, or maybe a couple of guys in the rock band that I was in at that time, when I was I was 16 at the time, uh, were dating some of her friends. And back then, which would have been 66, 67 in that area, a lot of times, uh, people with little bands like ours would play at house parties. Yeah. One of the kids or a group of kids was going to have a party for whatever reason, birthday or no reason. Right, yeah, no reason at you all. have one. It's going to be, <laughs> if it's if it's the weather's good, might do it in the garage yep. or do it in the, front, in the living room. Yep. So one of her friends was having a party. I don't know what the reason was. I just knew they were having a party. Yeah. And we were going to go over there and play. And so we sat up in the, in the living room. I saw her, but nobody introduced us. And then uh, some weeks or maybe what, month, months, go ahead. What did you think when you saw her? I mean, did she strike you for some reason? Did yeah, she, she just attracted my attention. I gotcha. thought, that's somebody I'd like to date, I think. Mm-hmm. But I was so shy, I wouldn't have ever asked her for a date. <laughs> And I didn't ask her for a date. What happened was a few months later, the lead guitar player in our group, who was, he was always uh, in trouble with his dad. And so he was, he was, he was grounded. He couldn't have access to dad's car. Not like it is today. All these kids have their own cars. We didn't have that uh, back then. Very few kids had their own cars. I didn't, and this guy didn't either. Well, he he had a steady girlfriend, and he was wanting to take her out. And he started on me the first week. He said, get a date so we can double date with you. <laughs> I thought, okay, okay. And really, by the middle of the week, he was still pounding away. I said, oh, I don't have anybody yet. He said, come on, get you a date, get you a date. So we, we, want, to so we want a double date. Yeah. Said, okay, okay, okay. I just can't think of anybody to ask. Well, that's good. And so, uh, anyway, toward the end of the week, it was getting down to that time. He said, uh, he was pushing me hard. And I said, well, look, if you'll get me a date with that girl at the party, I'll go. He didn't say a word. He just reached for the phone, dialed that number, and I thought, oh, he's going to get me a date. <laughs> well, he got her on the phone. And as soon as he did, he took the receiver and handed it to me. <laughs> he didn't say anything right. to her except hello. And so I, I responded with that, that uh, line that you usually respond with. 
you probably don't remember me, <laughs> but I was in the band at that party. Yeah, yeah, I remember you. Anyway, she wound up asking her mother, and she yeah. said she could go. I think I had to have her back by 10 o'clock right. or something. Yeah, something reasonable. And that's what was your first date? Where it started, went to the drive-in movies. What'd you see? I have no idea. <laughs> we got you up to your college career. You left banking, and then you started teaching. Is that? No, I was doing still that currently. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was still working a full full deal at the bank, and then uh, teaching at night. Two or three nights a week, or what I was only it? Did one night a week. Okay. Yeah, All right, in so. graduate school, the way the way DBU did it, and really the way some of the other ones do it, probably maybe all of them, I don't know, you just do one night a week. Okay. And that was doable. Sure. Two yeah. nights would have been kind of challenging. How did we get from Cleburne to Athens, Texas? My daughter, who's the attorney, has worked for three different courts. She, she has pretty much done the same type of work ever since she graduated from law school. She, she loves to write. Oh, of course she got that. Yeah. But she loves to write and she's good at it. And she really just enjoys doing research and writing opinions, legal opinions. She did that in a court in Waco. And then they had some deals going there. Her, her, that, the, the judges are elected positions and her, her boss lost an election. And sometimes that trickles down to the sure. staff. Yeah. So the boss goes, you might go too. Right. So uh, she had an opportunity to go down to, to the court at Beaumont. And so they moved down there, worked there a few years, and then wound up moving up here, and which led to, it was a good career move because now she's the chief staff attorney over there in Tyler. And when they were looking for property, they wanted some space. They had lived in subdivisions ever mm -hmm. since they'd been married. And they just wanted some a more place room. with more room. Yeah. I don't know how many acres they've got now. It's on. It's uh, in the Athens area. Mm -hmm. But it may be eight, I don't know. But it's a pretty good, pretty good little spread. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to mow. It <laughs> is, <laughs> if you mow it. Yeah, it's a lot to mow if you mow it. But they live out there, and they, they just enjoy living out there. She likes to, uh, she's got rescue dogs. Mm -hmm. She's big into that. She loves those animals. Are any of your other children or grandchildren close by or in the area? Or? I have two daughters that live together up at Louisville, okay. and one of those daughters has my only two grandkids. Okay. It's a boy and a girl. That's and then my son lives in Portland, Oregon. Oh, really? Yep. How did he end up up there, just by chance? He um, he w w couldn't decide what he really wanted to do. Yeah. And so he bounced around. He he was in a little band. He wanted to give it a go in the music business. Yeah. So I told him, you know what? I didn't have the opportunity to do that, so I want you to to do that. But realize that 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 plane's gonna have it's to take off. a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. <laughs> that, that plane's gonna have to take off at some point. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll have to do what most people do and yes. not give it up. Right. But find some way to put food on the table mm -hmm. as a primary source of income yeah. and do your music too on the side. Yeah. 
which is mostly what I had done in my adult years, and, and you can still find a great deal of satisfaction doing that. So he, he did that, and then, then he decided he wanted to get into graphic design, and he was going, to some, going to some schools. But then, the, in the local area, but then he was keeping up with, I think it was some Christian rock group that was headquartered in Portland, and they were part of this really uh, dynamic church up there. So he decided he wanted to do that. I thought he had reached a point where he really needed to, to get out of the house. Sure. He was still living with us. Yeah. And I thought for his personal growth as a man, <laughs> he needed to do that. And I, I really wish it had been somewhere closer. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, uh, that's not really somewhere I would want I can, to be. I can remember having that conversation with uh, our son. He was 20, and um, he and a buddy were moving up moving into an apartment up in Arlington, we kind of, his plan was to get on the fire department as well. He was kind of already in the process and looked like he was going to be hired relatively soon. And I can remember the day we drove up there and everybody, they signed their lease and all this stuff. And after we left, he said, this is, I'm scared. <laughs> I said, I understand. It, you know, I, that's totally natural. I said, there's some things you just, you cannot learn until you're living by yourself and on your own. And it's you know, having to make those decisions, I mean, like paying the light bill and, you know, just taking care of your car and getting your own, you know, get just all that just stuff. Feeding yourself, going to the grocery store. Yeah. You know, just... And, just being autonomous, you know what yeah. I call it. it, it it's kind of like uh, Joe Walsh says about playing music. This is one of my favorite quotes. He, he said that... Uh, a lot of kids nowadays are legends in their own parents' garage. <laughs> <laughs> right. but he said, "If you really, but he said they really can't play. But you, he's, the only way that you can become good is to get out and play in front of people." And he says, yeah. "You will suck. You'll be terrible." <laughs> and he said, "But the more you do it, you'll suck less." Right. <laughs> I the first um, time I ran across you was probably. A year or two ago, and it was at the um, farmer's market. So how did you get involved in the farmer's market? And you didn't have any vegetables to sell. You weren't, um, no beef, no eggs, no nothing, but you were but I'm playing cooking. music. I'm you were cooking. playing music in the middle. I thought that was the coolest thing. You said you would like to be in a band because that's when you practice and play. It's when you get your best performing and everything, but you are out there you know, on Saturdays and farmer's market and working on your chops and I think everybody really enjoys it. I don't know I do. Well, I appreciate that. It's a lot of folks have said they do and who am I to refute their opinion? <laughs> it's really... <laughs> I think it's a, a fascinating story again because it's my story but it's really interesting how step by step that took place. I was playing, uh, we were members of a big church in Cleveland and I was on the worship team, and I was sort of frustrated, sort of a combination of frustration and being disgruntled and stuff with that. And it wasn't because of anybody. It was just because of me and the situation. Everybody on the worship team was pretty young, and, and I, I call myself the token old guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the music just didn't fit my style. And we were learning 
a set of five new songs every week. Uh-huh. And I wasn't getting enough repetitions in to really feel confident playing the music. So finally, I just said, look, I'm under enough stress at the bank. I don't need this extra stress. I'm quitting. So I got, I, I quit. And I told my son, I think I'm going to get rid of all my equipment and I'm just going to go, just turn it over to the younger generation. What did your son He said, think Dad, don't do that. <laughs> and then I was sitting in my office and uh, I got a call from a friend of mine who was a customer uh, who owned a uh, convenience store in Godley, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he said, that he, he heard that I played guitar. I said, yeah, I do, but I've been thinking about just giving it up, just completely quitting and get rid of my equipment and all of that. He paused for a minute and he said, well, I didn't start playing music till I was in my 60s and I'm gonna keep playing till the day I die. And I thought, man, you couldn't have taken, you couldn't have hit me any harder with a two by four. And I thought, well, maybe he's got a point. So I started just getting my guitar out late at night. I'm a night owl anyway. Oh, yeah. After my wife would go to bed, I'd sit in the living room just plunking, mm-hmm. just hit it. Just whatever came to mind. I'd always been fascinated with slide guitar, so I got me a DVD and I was trying to learn a little of that. That's when I started using fingers on my right hand. Before that, I'd always used a flat pick or a plectrum. And little by little, I I thought about when I was young, I was listening to people like Chet Atkins and some of those jazz players that played a chord style where they played the melody and the chords all at the same time. I'd always been fascinated, but I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, in today's world, there's a, a YouTube video on everything. Sure or go in a guitar store and you find DVDs. Yeah. It'll teach you how to do just about anything. So I started working on some of that stuff and adding a few songs here and there. And I learned Here Comes the Sun by George Harrison. And, and that, what's that? Um, Light My Fire, the Jose Feliciano version, and stuff like that. And I had about 10 songs that I could do. And all of a sudden, I got a call from this lady I met through the Chamber of Commerce. And she said, she owned a wine store in Cleburne. Said, uh, I'm start. I'm going to have this event on Friday night. And I heard you play guitar, so I want you to just come down and, and play some acoustic background music. Mm-hmm. And without thinking, I said, nope. <laughs> I'm just, I just play for my own amusement at night. Really, I didn't tell her it was for therapy to keep me from going crazy. <laughs> Although it was. Yeah, it, it is a lot I just didn't think about it. I said, nope, not going to do it. Hung up the phone. Well, as soon as I hung, hung up the phone, I thought, oh, why not? So just I, needed us another second to think about it. Yeah, so I called her back and said, yeah, I'll do it. So I went down there and I played. And I had a, had a good time after I got calmed down. A little right, bit. Yeah. I was all nervous about it. And so uh, I did that. I don't know how many weeks that I did that on Friday nights. But I did it till she quit doing it. And, and then uh, another lady that I knew started the Cleveland Farmer's Market. Well, the same thing. Mm-hmm. She called and said, hey, I hear it. Yeah, I do. I want to have some music, live music down there. Okay. 
So I started going down there on every Saturday during the season and uh, just playing. And the way I looked at it, there, there wasn't a lot of, of money to be had doing mm -hmm. that. So it certainly wasn't doing it for the money. Never intended to do it for the money. It was just for fun. Mm -hmm. And it was, the way I looked at it, it was like uh, so many musicians start playing in bars, you know, and pretty rough environment, yeah. so they don't make any money. It's thought, late at night. Yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of uh, developing my chops, as it were. I'm paying my dues. So I did that. And uh, my parents you know, lived, still lived in Pearl. And I was getting close to retirement, and I thought, you know what? I need to force myself to go see Mother and Daddy more often. So I contacted the, the Mississippi Farmers Market in Jackson. They had live music. I got on the schedule once every two months. Okay. So I'd go over there and play once every two months on a Saturday and spend the weekend with Mother and Daddy. Mm -hmm. Of course, you, you wouldn't drive 350 miles right. <laughs> <laughs> to play for tips at a farmer's market. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't doing that. I was going to see my parents but right. while I was there. Uh, it was something fun to do. Yeah. So I did that for probably a couple of years. And in fact, I was playing at the farmer's market the Saturday my dad passed away. Really? Yeah. I was in town. Yeah. I wouldn't have been in town if it hadn't been for that. So uh, that may be the last time. I think that was the last time that I played there. Okay. And then we were getting ready to, we decided we were going to move to Athens. I like East Texas because it reminds me of Central Mississippi where I grew up. Really? A lot of pine trees. Okay. The topography is very similar, people very similar. So it felt like home to me. And and my daughter is here. Mm -hmm. So we felt like we needed to be close to at least one. Right, at least one, <laughs> yeah. Can't be close to all four. And she's not likely to be going anywhere. Right. Yeah, but we liked it here. And so when, I, when it became apparent that a move was going to take place, I asked around, and I think somebody at the Chamber of Commerce told me about DJ Warren, and I contacted her just out of the blue, and so she gave me a date, which was May the 18th of 2019. Okay. And I showed up, and I played that day. I'd never seen her before I showed up to set up my stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it may have been the next week or the next week, somebody who was going to play didn't show up. So she called me that Saturday morning and said, you want to come down and finish the day for us? <laughs> <laughs> so I got in the car and went down there and played a couple of hours, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And she then she said, you want to just do this every week? Uh, so I said, yeah. And I've been doing it ever since. That's cool. But I just enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. I can tell that you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah I get I mean. to play music. I pick what I play. I get to. <laughs> you know, I pick songs that I grew up listening to that I always loved and wanted to learn how to play. I'm working, working on a, a couple of songs right now, Eagle songs. Which ones? Let's see. I just learned the the solo for Witchy Woman. Yeah. And I'm trying to decide. Uh, I met Doyle Dykes not long ago, and he. <laughs> He was telling me he was playing a song and trying to figure out how he, he was playing it while he was trying to figure out how he wanted to play it. Okay. That's kind of the way I am yeah. with that. I'm <laughs> playing it while I'm trying to figure out how I want to play it. Yeah. But that one and Take It Easy. Yeah, and I just learned Tequila Sunrise. I've been playing it the last couple of weeks. 
you know, if I was an artist, like anybody, you probably get tired of doing it exactly the same. So you, for your own sanity, if, because I've seen a lot of artists where they just change it up a little bit. I mean, you know it's that song, but it's... What's really funny is uh, I do a, a medley of two songs that you think these, how did, how did you ever think those might go together? Mm -hmm. But there's an old Peter Green song. Uh, Peter Green was the original founder of Fleetwood Mac. Okay. And he was a, a really fine blues guitarist. Uh, some folks think better than Eric Clapton. Yeah. But Peter Green had a song called Oh Well. And I always loved Oh Well. I don't know what, I have to look, I have to look it up. Yeah, the, it has very few lyrics. It says something about, don't you think about the shape I'm in? I ain't pretty, can't sing, and my legs are thin. <laughs> but don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. But it, it's got two verses, but then it goes into all this guitar stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I play Oh, well. And sometimes people will recognize it at the farmer's market. That's, that's pretty remarkable. But then I've got a little sort of a bridge thing I do, and I go into Malaguena. Okay, I don't recognize that name. Malaguena is the standard Spanish guitar. It's classical guitar. Mm -hmm. And and I've, I've got my own little lead-ins and outros that I put on that. I need to do a YouTube video on that one. Yeah, you should. But, that, but uh, I love playing those two together. But they just don't seem like they go together. Because a classical guitar song that... Andre Segovia would play with Peter Green. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't want those songs to be unrecognizable, though. Right. Because if you're a solo artist like I am and you're, you're just doing inter, inter, uh, instrumental music, people need to recognize it. Sometimes it's, it's really funny. I've had, on more, more than one occasion, I've had somebody come up and say, man, I just love the way you play Dust in the Wind. <laughs> and I just say, thank you. And then for about two minutes, I'll think, what did what, I play I that playing? sounded That's like funny. Dust in the Wind? Because yeah. I don't play <laughs> Dust in the Wind. And not too long ago at the farmer's market, some guy came running up there. I mean, literally running right. Charging up, up yeah. Charging up there and said, man, I just love the way you played that Chicago team. I thought, okay. He might have been Tell me here. what you liked about it. Which part was it? He might have been hearing Gabriel blowing his horn from heaven because right. I don't I don't have a horn section. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't play any Chicago teams, yeah. but I just say thank you and go yeah. right on. Yeah, it's what somebody else's ear is gonna pick up on, you know. But as long as I played something that he liked. <laughs> and I had one guy when we were at the Texan came uh, he part I saw him, I just noticed that uh, he had parked across the street mm -hmm. and crossed over and I wasn't watching him or anything. I just noticed him out of the corner of my ear walking up to And I was playing Stairway to Heaven and then I, I play Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You by mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin. Yep. Those are my two Zeppelin things. And he came up and the last thing I expected to hear at the farmer's market was Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought, well, you heard it now. You stick around, you might hear something else pretty weird. Yeah. What's really interesting, I don't take breaks. Yeah. I don't take a formal break. 
but uh, I always have folks stop by and visit. Uh, sometimes they visit for a long time, right. sometimes for not not so long, but but those are my breaks, right. and, I, and I enjoy just interacting with folks. When I was really young, I was painfully shy, and I didn't like to, to talk to people. And of course, in the banking business, uh, you kind of have to come out of that. You, of that, huh? you can't stay in that shell very long. Yeah. And I learned you know, some people skills. I learned that uh, just to ask questions and get people started talking. But, but uh, in my later years, I got very comfortable just interacting with folks, and, and that's something. That's part of the whole thing. The experience that I like down there, getting to know some people. I've met. Uh, some very interesting people down there. I bet so. I bet so. And, and a lot of them are, I consider to be friends now. I just, I look forward to seeing them down there. How much longer this year? We're at the end of uh, October 2022. Supposed to go to the end of October. Okay. Sorry. But DJ, uh, enterprising person that she is, last year she started doing these pop-up markets where we would do, do an one-off every month okay because first of this year i think we did i don't know if we did one in january but we did it in february right on through until i think we started may the first or might have been april first i don't remember but uh we would we would do some extra things mm -hmm. like the holiday market she's got coming up i think that's in december okay and but so there'll be it won't be like it's cold turkey <laughs> until next next season because she's always got something in there going is it, on. Is it usually April? Is that kind of when yeah, it I starts up? Remember. No, just when are you? Like I, I, I want to say May the 1st, but okay, I don't think it is because I remember we have to battle the wind in the mm -hmm. spring quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at the farmer's market in, in uh, Cleveland, this is when I was new to all this stuff and I'd never popped up a canopy before. Oh. <laughs> at that time, they were supplying the canopy for me, uh -huh. and they didn't have it tied down. Turned and we up. had one of those big <laughs> puffs of Texas wind come through there, and that thing just lifted up. And so. We were right behind the Exxon station. I don't know where that thing ended up, but it was down the street. Really? <laughs> the bad thing is I had just I had not had my first Martin guitar for very long mm -hmm. and I was playing it that day and I thought you know what if the, one of the legs of that canopy drug across the top of this guitar I'd be very unhappy. Yeah that would not be good at all. So I've, I've learned a lot some things you just have to learn when they pop up. Yeah, they, I, I was looking at your Facebook page and it, I think we were talking on I saw in your card maybe you know it talks about you doing gigs so you call yourself the side man and so what would a typical sideman gig be? Oh, for me? Yeah, for you. And, like, who would you be the sideman for? Or is that just... Well, that's, that's interesting. When I, when I came up with that, if you read on my card, it says providing background music for your special events. Okay. So like, just well, by definition, doing what you do at the farmer's market. Yeah, I'm basically. not the main event. Right. So the vendors... Are the main event mm -hmm. down there? I'm supporting what they do. Okay. I'm not giving a concert. I'm not there, right. and people are coming to sit down and listen to me play for two hours or four hours or three, however long. They're not doing that. I'm just coming to provide background to enhance the ambiance of their event. I got you. I, I did a birthday party 
not too long ago over at the Railway Cafe. Mm-hmm. Well, hardly anybody was paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. I was well, they were, but they but they were chatting, sure, and yeah, I mean, a good time, eating and et cetera, and just doing the usual birthday party stuff. And I was just over in the corner, mm-hmm. setting the tone. And I'm playing at the country club Friday night out on the patio. Well, they're not going to be sitting there in rows listening to me play. Okay. They're going to be out having a good time, partying, doing what they do. Some might come over and talk to me, and, and they probably will, and, uh, and listen to a song or two and then go about their business just having fun. And uh, I played at uh, Castle Oaks Winery last year. I was off to the side just playing the music, providing the ambiance, mm-hmm. and there was a big old long table of people that were just uh, enjoying a fabulous meal and drinking some of that great wine. Yeah, they got some good wine. And just having a good time, interacting, conversation and stuff. But in the background, there they hear me playing. Okay. And, and so uh, that's what I do, and that's what I do at okay. the market. So you're so a you're side the... man by definition. Is if you see if you see the I've got some concert videos of the Eagles. Uh-huh. Well, in the old days they had five of them, five Eagles. Yeah. Well, due to attrition for right. different reasons, we won't go into. It's only four. Mm-hmm. Well, there's probably twelve musicians on the stage. Yeah. There was another guitar player named I think his last name was Smith, Stuart Smith. Great guitar player. He's just, he's not a member of the Eagles. Right. He's, he's a side man. He plays. He supports Don Henley and at that time Glenn Fry, mm-hmm. Joe Walsh, and Timothy B. Schmidt. He supports them. He's a side man. Okay. The side men don't get rich. All right. They get, <laughs> it's pay for play. All right, yeah. You know, we got four gigs, you're going to get paid. We're mm-hmm. going to pay you so much a gig. Yeah. That's it. Okay. I was thinking side men like, you would play with somebody. You would play, I would sing. You would play that, and that I might play the drums man. or something. Yeah, okay, that man. could be something as well, but yeah. I see what you're saying now. You're, just at, you're at the event, you're not the main attraction, you're just providing, instead of a, an iPod or some kind of music station going, you're playing live too, like I said. And are you full up with gigs? So say somebody had wanted to... Wanted to hire you for a gig? Are you looking for work? Or I'm you... always, always available. Okay, so I'm if somebody... I'm like the old TV, have gun, wheel, travel. Okay. You know, paladin. <laughs> so how would people, how would be the easiest way for them to get in touch with you if they were interested in having the side man at their next Well, event? I've got my, my Facebook page, okay. either my personal page or the side man. Okay, so you can, can look up the side man. Or 071, but that way, or uh, by email, it's uh, sideman71 at gmail.com. So if you're looking for some live music, some live kind of sideman music, give Bart Cannon a shout. Come to the Farmer's Market and check him out on Saturdays for Farmer's Market. probably be over by the time this comes out, <laughs> 2022. But do you advertise? Like if you've got a gig coming up? Do yeah, you... I do. Okay. So they I would... usually do because... I had, uh, when, when I played at Castle Oaks, a bunch of my friends went out there. Okay. So I helped them. I guess yeah. I helped them in that regard. Right. Roger was, uh, Roger Littleton was my first interview. He's a buddy of mine, uh, the owner there at 
Castellogue. So yeah, that was uh, that was one of my uh, one of the gigs that I've enjoyed the most. Really? And I've been, a, I don't think I've ever played one I didn't enjoy, yeah. but I really enjoyed that one. That they put cool. on a good party. Out yeah, there. it's a fun place. Fabulous fun place. food and, and the wine they provide out there is just. It's, it's as good as any I've had. And I've been to California plenty of times, so I don't know what wine tastes like. <laughs> or right. supposed to taste like. All right. Bart Cannon, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it very much. It was You're great welcome. talking My to pleasure. you. My pleasure. Enjoyed it.